Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Sylvie and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to the MediaGriff Interactive Technologies Q1 Fiscal 2021 Investor Conference Call. Today's call will provide information and commentary on the company with a focus on the financial results released. We will hear from Luc Filiatro, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Paul Bourque, Chief Financial Officer. If you have questions following the call, you can reach MediaGriff at the address on their website, www.mediagriff.com. First, here are a couple of housekeeping notices. All participants are in a listen-only mode for the duration of the call. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. This call is being recorded, and we expect that the recording will be available on MediaGriff's website today. We recommend, we remind you that today's remarks will include forward-looking statements that are subject to important risks and uncertainties. For more information on these risks and uncertainties, please see the reader advisory at the bottom of Martello's news release, which is on their website and on CDAR. The company's actual performance could differ materially from these statements. I will now hand the call over to Monsieur Filiatro. Please go ahead. Bonjour tout le monde. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for being with us this morning. We really appreciate your presence. Um, we are innovating today, and uh, you. Uh, I hope you could. Uh, you are able to join the uh, the session uh, platform, so you can uh, check the slides as we uh, go through this pre presentation where we thought that a picture is worth a thousand words. So uh, in order to save some words, we're showing you some, some graphs and some data. So we'll turn to the results uh, that we filed yesterday in just a moment. But first, I want to take a moment to tell you a bit about MediaGriff and the state of our operations. So we're a developer, of, uh, uh, <clears throat> we're a developer and operator of digital commerce platforms. Our platforms facilitate billions of dollars of transactions per year of digital commerce, over about 200,000 end-user companies, mostly in North America. We're a meaningful player in the sector. So we joined the company in the fall of 2019 with a mandate to really take the company to the next level. And since then, we have undertaken to transform MediaGriff into a high-growth SaaS digital commerce company with the potential to dominate key market segments. In order to do this, we first had to prepare the company for transformation. We undertook to clarify the business, to streamline, and to refocus operations. We built a five-year strategic plan, we executed on a sales transformation plan, and we shored up our balance sheet. While doing all of that, we extended our unified commerce platform by acquiring and in integrating KE Commerce which tripled our monthly recurring revenue for e-commerce starting in January. 
We're investing in two core growth platforms of our, and we're, uh, we're harvesting a third. The first growth platform is strategic sourcing. You should be seeing a map which uh, shows that this procurement and tendering platform, uh, which accounts for approximately 42% of our revenues. We have over 3,000 government and large enterprises, buyers, that rely on our strategic platform to procure and tender from a North America-wide network of approximately 200,000 suppliers. The dots that you see on the platform represent where these various governments and large enterprises are. And you have the blue dots, which are uh, what we had, and the orange dots are the, uh, the buyers that were added during the quarter. So as you can tell, there's quite a bit of progress, and our geographical coverage of North America is increasing all the time. The second growth platform is Unified Commons, which represents about 38% of our revenue base. So you have a slide here that shows that digital commerce in general accelerated immensely during the pandemic. Um, the report that we have here shows or, 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 or uh, calculates that approximately 10 years of progress of digital commerce penetration were accomplished in the, in the last four or five months. So our platforms offers end-to-end -end commerce, including supply chain, for thousands of mid-sized and large enterprise customers globally who rely on our technology. We have a particularly strong presence in the grocery space. And like other e-commerce providers, our platforms experienced a 50% surge in usage during the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. That surge was generally sustained throughout 2021. Uh, while we recorded this 48% growth in revenue uh, compared to the same time last year. We believe that the accelerated shift to e-commerce triggered by the pandemic will generally be sustained and we plan on exploiting this. Our results today show that uh, the trend is continuing to benefit NDF directly. Our systems are highly scalable and we would absolutely be ready to face volumes of a second wave if it ever occurs. Finally, the third platform, which is our marketplaces, is a collection of online properties that enable everything from wholesale diamond purchasing to job hunting. Collectively, these five online marketplaces account for approximately 20% of total revenue, but no single property represents more than 3% of our total revenue. It is our assessment that incremental in, in investments in these small online properties would not achieve adequate returns on invested capital. As a result, we do not plan any significant investments in these platforms. In fact, we plan to harvest earnings and maximize the contribution of each of them. I am happy to report that we are now largely through the preparation phase of Metagross transformation into a SaaS digital commerce company, and we're now entering a planned growth phase focused on monthly recurring revenue. I would like to now comment on the state of Metagross as we enter this growth phase. A great leading indicator of our performance in MRR growth is the growth of our deferred revenue, 
which uh, is now at 19.1 million from 15.2 million last year, which represents a 20%, 26%, sorry, year-over-year -year increase. We've completed a detailed review of our revenue streams, and we are pleased to report that approximately 77% of Metagriff's total revenue were recurring for Q1 fiscal 2021. Total MRR for Q1 was 15.5 million, up 11% year over year, and 3% sequentially compared to Q4 2020. So by all common measures, we're already a SaaS company with a majority of our revenue streams recurring and predictable. This is a fantastic base upon which to build. Within the strategic sourcing platform, recurring revenue represents 94% of total revenue, which we believe is close to maximum annual recurring revenue available to that line of business. We simply need to accelerate the growth of these predictable high growth margin revenue streams. Within the unified commerce platform, recurring revenue is approximately 60% of total revenue, so quite a bit of growth to achieve there. And we're currently working on a partnership program to give us an ability to scale our SaaS solutions. Our enterprise e-commerce platforms, better known as Orchestra, does require effort at the onboarding phase, and we intend to use our partners network as much as possible to give us the ability to onboard many more customers simultaneously and increase the percentage of MRR recurring revenue. As an, as an example, we very recently announced a partnership with Logic, actually it was at the end of July, which adds more than 700 retail e-commerce specialists in 10 countries on which we can rely to implement our, our, our technology. We will be gradually adding more partners, including some very large consulting firms to our program over time, which will again uh, help us scale uh, faster our, our growth. As we implement our sales transformation plan, we believe that we will increase our ability to acquire net new customers significantly. As we target new unified commerce acquisitions, like the KE Commerce one, one of our main criteria will be high levels of recurring revenue. It is our objective over time to maximize annual recurring revenue to similar levels as strategic sourcing while we accelerate growth. As we streamline operations and divest from low growth and non-recurring revenue properties, total revenue and sometimes adjusted EBITDA may, temper may be temporarily impacted. For example, the divestment of LEPAC last year. However, we urge investors to follow total MRR growth in our core platforms which we anticipate will continue to accelerate as we have seen in Q1 fiscal 2021. Next, I want to turn to the balance sheet. With the close of the bot deal equity offering in May of 2020, we raised 16 million of incremental working capital. Mediagriff closed Q1 fiscal 2021 with $19.4 million of cash on our balance sheet. Before I turn it over to Paul to discuss in more detail our Q1 fiscal 2021 financial results, I want to again thank our board, thank the management team, and thank all of our dedicated employees for staying strong, very effective, and safe during these challenging times.
We are now well into our growth phase and believe that the best times for these companies lie in the quarters ahead. Now I'd like to ask Paul to review the financial results. Paul, thank you. Merci, Luc. Thank you, and uh, bonjour à tous. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, so here are the highlights of the first quarter of fiscal 2021 results. As you can see on the on the slide, total revenue was 20.5 million uh, during the quarter, up 8.4 percent from 18.9 million 18.9 million reported in Q4 of fiscal 2020. Adjusting for revenues from discontinued operations associated with the divestment of LEPAC. In Q1 of fiscal 2020, total revenue increased 13.9% to from $18 million, driven by the 48% growth in the unified commerce platform, which benefited from a surge in consumer online purchasing associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. The surge had a significant impact on our revenue throughout the quarter. Revenue in the other core platforms, strategic sourcing, remained stable throughout the pandemic, growing 2% year over year to reach $7.7 million. We've also added 77 new buying agencies during the quarter that will allow us to monetize supplier ecosystems and meaningfully increase our our revenue streams over time. Adjusting for revenue from discontinued operation, again associated with LEPAC divestment in Q1, non-core platforms revenue which include the marketplace's platforms, slightly declined to 3.1 or declined to 3.1 million from 4.4 million in Q1 2020. The marketplaces are comprised of platforms where the company is focused on maximizing cash contribution. Total monthly recurring revenues, total recurring revenues in Q1 2021 were 15.8 million or 77% of total revenue for the quarter. Total MRR grew 11% over the previous Q1 reporting period, led by the 43% increase in unified commerce MRR and a 4% increase in strategic sourcing MRR. The companies use MRR as a key performance matrix. Adjusted EBITDA total 1.8 million, which was up 0.9 million in Q- versus, Q4- versus Q4 2020. The Q1 2021 EBITDA Adjusted EBITDA margin of 8.8% is in line with our expectations. The reduction in EBITDA versus first quarter last year is mainly due to the divestment of LEPAC in Q1 2020, the results of KA Commerce, the decrease in our non-core platforms, and the investments that, we, that we've made into the implementation of our business plan. Net loss for the Q1 of fiscal 2021 totaled $1.2 million or eight cents a share compared to a net profit of 1.1 million or seven cents a share last year. Now, I will now comment on, comment on some other highlights that occurred during the fourth quarter. In fiscal 2021, as mentioned by Luke, deferred revenue grew 26% to reach 19.1 million compared to 15.2 reported for the same quarter last year of fiscal 2020. At this point, uh, we believe that deferred revenue should be viewed by investors as a proxy for contracted future revenues. As I mentioned earlier, we've added 77 procurement clients to our strategic sourcing platforms, mainly into the US. For our unified commerce platform, 
the company added 40 small, medium, and SMBs business or clients, and one enterprise client, which is a significant, significant grocer, grocery retailer. And with that, I will now turn over the meeting to Luc. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Uh, I'd like to make a few comments about our outlook before concluding our prepared remarks. You should see a graph here uh, on your screens that clearly show the progress of our MRR over the last four quarters. You also see that the percentage uh, of MRR compared to total revenue uh, evolved from roughly in the mid-60s to uh, the high 70s and even hit at some point the 80%. So that's a clear trend that we intend to continue. And during the quarter, uh, the first quarter of 2021, we signed 118 new clients. This is significant. This leading indicator helps to quantify our MRR ramp-up in future quarters, which we intend to accelerate further by expanding the role of our sales transformation plan and making strategic acquisitions. Continuing a trend started in, starting in Q4 2020, the trajectory of monthly recurring revenue for core platforms, unified commerce, and strategic sourcing has already increased 23%, which was influenced by global market conditions. The overall growth of MRR in Q1 fiscal 2021 was partially driven by a 48% surge in e-commerce due to a spike in online commerce caused by the COVID pandemic, mostly in the grocery sector. And although strategic sourcing grew modestly at 2% during the same time frame, there was a 17% spike in demand for our US-based e-procurement platform, which we believe was also influenced by the COVID-19 pandemic. The early feedback from our Canadian users on the upgrade of the Mertz platform in Canada gives us confidence that there are new growth opportunities emerging here as well. So management believes that much of the shift in preference towards digital commerce will be permanent which should reflect in future performance for the two core platforms of unified commerce and strat sourcing. I want to now turn to a recent strat sourcing contract, which I think demonstrates our superior competitive positioning in the marketplace. We recently announced National Health Service, also known as the NHS in the UK. They have selected our contract lifecycle management solution to help coordinate procurement for its members across the UK. The NHS is the largest universal health care in the world, and they manage approximately 26 billion euros of third-party contracts every year. Very proud of that accomplishment. And finally, I'd like to leave you with the three key takeaways that I think summarize our transformation to date. First, by all measures, Metagriff should be considered a high-quality, profitable, SaaS digital commerce company with 70, almost 80% recurring revenue, 60 million of annual recurring revenue, and gross margins typically in the mid-70s. Second, we are laser-focused on driving growth in strat sourcing and unified commerce. On those two platforms, we have over 200,000 end users that pay us monthly, and we are poised to accelerate revenue both through organic sales efforts, but also via strategic acquisitions. Investors who understand where we are, where we are going, will benefit greatly by getting on board right now. By all measures, 
NDS is dramatically undervalued in comparison to closed spheres like SPS Commerce, more recently Big Commerce, Texas, because MDF trades uh, actually below two times revenue, all other peers trade in the far higher range. Finally, after spending eight months preparing to transform MDF into a lean MRR growth company, we are in great shape now to take advantage of the enormous opportunities in digital commerce, assisted by this 50% surge in demand caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Some might say that we were lucky to be in the right spot at the right time. I would like to offer that the entire NDF team worked really hard over the past eight, nine months to get us to that right spot. So we earned our luck and we're determined not to squander at the opportunities in front of us. I'm also super excited to announce that we will be changing the name of the company to better reflect our current positioning in our markets. That new name will be revealed at our AGM uh, coming up on September 23rd at 11. I'm, I'm hoping to see you there virtually, obviously, and uh, we will be very excited to show you uh, where uh, that, what we thought would really be a good name to describe not only who we are, but who we are becoming. And with that, I'd like to hand it over to the operator, Sylvie, for uh, further questions. Thank you, Mr. Filiatro. We will now open the lines for questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, you will need to press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And should you wish to with a question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have a question. And your first question will be from Amir Azat at Echelon Wealth Partners. Please go ahead. Bonjour. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, guys, first, congrats on the quarter. Um, my, my first question is on MRR, specifically on the e-commerce side, um, or unified commerce, rather. You guys, like mentioned, a 48% growth, uh, which is a pretty um, impressive metric. Um, can you help us sort of segment that data point? Um, I'm trying to dissect how much of it is due to the increased transactions versus new clients. Um, on the last call, you, you spoke to very large contracts at Orchestra, and obviously these are longer implementations. So I'm just wondering if we are seeing some of that already in your MRR numbers, or is that yet uh, to contribute? Um. Thanks, Amber, for your question. The, the first thing I'd like to, to offer as a, certainly a partial answer is if you look at our definition of MRR, um, we took the conservative approach not to put in the MRR the very large surge of revenue that uh, we felt were caused by the pandemic. And I'll, give, I'll offer an example. Um, I think you all heard that we have Carrefour as a client, and in Italy during the pandemic, at some point, Carrefour was the only operating grocer online. So obviously, the surge of demand we got there is hardly repeatable. I, I, I hope for Italy's sake that it doesn't happen again. So we were conservative in calculating the MRR, and the increases that you see do not include those, what we felt were, you know, uh, directly caused. 
So there's a good portion of MRR. Uh, the growth comes from the added clients, like we mentioned, 40 new SMB clients. The large enterprise client that we mentioned uh, is not fully onboarded at this point. So their contribution to the MRR is still very small because we're still in the uh, onboarding phase of that very large customer. Um, okay, um, that, that's helpful. Um, okay, maybe if I'm thinking about size, um, when I'm thinking about orchestra historically, and correct me if I'm wrong, the average revenue per account is sort of eight, 100 to 900 grand per year, um, sometimes more. So when I'm thinking about that new contract specifically, how does um, the average revenue, I guess, like compare relative to historicals? Um, that customer, once fully onboarded, would, uh, would very much trump these numbers very significantly. However, the onboarding cycle uh, is, is, is a rather lengthy one because that customer is present, uh, to the best of my knowledge, in more than 40 countries in Europe, North America, and a bit of South America also. And obviously, the, uh, the onboarding of all these countries will take some time. Uh, it's not going to happen in a single month. Uh, it would just be impossible to handle. So uh, it will take some time to come to full scale but uh, it, it's definitely much larger than our average customers up to now. Okay, well, stay tuned. Um, maybe switching gears to, to your EBITDA, I guess my first question there is on um, the wage subsidies you received. I was surprised to see that, actually. Um, can you perhaps give us some, some more color there, um, and are you guys expecting this going forward as well, or is it just a one-off for this quarter? Um, well, uh, the, oh, okay. oh, you want to go ahead, Paul? Okay. Well, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. No problem. Um, most of the grants that we got came from the e-marketplaces. And uh, as you know, uh, for example, one of the e-marketplaces is in job uh, search. So that was obviously slowed down. And the way those programs were designed, uh, we were able to capture some funding, so uh, we obviously took the opportunity. Uh, not knowing what the various uh, levels of government will do in the future, uh, you know, we, we, we can't count on this, but we were very happy to take it during the quarter. Uh, understood. Okay, I didn't realize you could sort of ring fence um, some of the divisions. Um, okay, so... When I'm thinking about your operating expenses, um, I, I see you've got like 20-ish um, open positions on your website. Um, and obviously the June quarter was a bit of an abnormal quarter with COVID. So just wondering what sort of normalized OPEX number uh, we should look for going forward. Uh, Paul, I'll let you take a peek at that. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a harder one to respond with, uh, with an exact <laughs> Exact number, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, in the quarter, I mean, in, in, you know, we've, we, we've had, you know, additional expense due to COVID, which were not, you know, necessarily high. Um, and on the other end, we, we kind of save, you know, on travel, entertainment, and uh, Trade shows and, and stuff. I mean, we've we've added few people uh, since uh, the beginning of June, 
uh, obviously in the development of our uh, business plan at the moment. Uh, so we could expect you know, some increase on, on, on that one if we, you know, we've added some, if we succeed in hiring the others, you know, it will have an, an impact on the, on the uh, overall cost over the, you know, the next uh, couple of quarters. Uh, which we anticipate, you know, revenue to grow as well during that that, that same period. Um, okay, maybe one last one. I'll jump back in the queue uh, to free up the line. When when you guys are thinking about capital allocation and and M and A, especially in light of the um, the increased traction in your organic growth rates, do you sort of pause and delay to focus on your current operations, or do you guys feel you have enough bandwidth um, to, to execute on, on M&A, um, then maybe like some color on on the size that you guys are looking at? Um, I, I think we had mentioned in the past that we, we sort of had put our M&A program on pause, uh, at, you know, at the start of the pandemic and sort of relaunched this uh, towards the end of May. Uh, we uh, we are working on putting together a very detailed um, acquisition roadmap so that we uh, we will be acquiring companies in the strat sourcing uh, to increase and accelerate our geographic uh, coverage. Uh, we expect these acquisitions to be highly accretive because we will be. Um, uh, integrating them both uh, in terms of uh, uh, migrating the customers onto our platforms and increasing the value that we bring to these customers, which will obviously in turn also increase the value that we can charge them. Uh, and we also uh, intend to be performing some acquisitions in our unified commerce platform, more to complete uh, certain technology tuck-ins where uh, we feel that the cost of or the cost and the time of developing these uh, these functionalities would be uh, there's an advantage to us in in taking higher faster market share by acquiring these tuck-ins versus developing them. Great, thanks. I'll jump jump back in the queue. Thank you. Next question will be from Nick Corcoran at Acumen Capital. Please go ahead. Morning and thanks for taking my questions. Um, my first question is just on your uh, credit facility. I think you had mentioned that you were looking to get that uh, converted to an MRR based facility. Can you give any update on that? Uh, yes, certainly. Thank you, Nick. We uh, we actually uh, are working with uh, financial partners at uh, Echelon to uh, to help us uh, get the best possible conditions. And we're currently actively working uh, through uh, a couple offerings from various uh, financial institutions and hope to be completing this, uh, I'm pretty sure, during the current quarter. Uh, vacation might slow it down a bit, but we should be done with this uh, relatively shortly. Great. And then uh, going back to the NHS contract, can you... Uh give any indication of the initial size and um, what potential upside might be to that? Like a lot of our strat sourcing um, uh, contracts, right, uh, the, the value ultimately comes from the various suppliers that sort of hook to the platform. 
So to, it's very hard at this point in time to estimate how fast we will be able to onboard all of their various constituents of the NHS. It's an extremely complex organization, uh, and we're, we're just starting now to, uh, to look at the rollout and the onboarding of all this. So uh, hard for me to give you a number at this point. I, uh, I wish I could, but uh, it will be... Uh, they, they chose our technology mo more based on the performance, the functionality, uh, the ease of use, etc. And, and the costing of it will be uh, sort of gradually be uh, happening over time. And then last question for me, should we um, look for strategic sourcing to grow further into Europe uh, going forward? Like, obviously, this gives you a, uh, a foothold in the UK market. Uh, well, definitely, right? It's, uh, it's our first incursion in Europe in strategic sourcing, and we certainly feel that with the, uh, the very wide acceptance of our platforms in North America, we have an advantage. Uh, and we're, we're possibly also looking at some M&A opportunities, uh, not just in North America, but also in Europe for strategic sourcing, which could uh, accelerate our penetration of that geography. Great. That's all for me. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Mahar Yagi at Desjardins. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you for taking my question. And uh, yeah, nice score, the guys, on, on uh, the growth, uh, organic growth is starting to uh, show a uh, nice pickup. And I wanted to ask you about AK e-commerce. Uh, when you bought the company, uh, I thought the revenue run rate should be around 8 million. Um, it's running now at 1.4. I recognize you have some deferred revenue impact in there, uh, but uh, should we expect it to come back to the $2 million range uh, in the next couple of quarters, especially with, you know, with the COVID situation? I, I, I would have thought it would have been a good opportunity for them to pick up revenue from the 8 million they had last year. Um, the, the one specific element of the KE-commerce platforms is uh, it's, uh, it's mostly targeted towards SMB and probably, you know, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the customers are B2B SMBs and mostly uh, in the U.S. Now, during the pandemic, uh, they're not into uh, B2C uh, conduct to be um, essential services, and many of our our clients in the SMB area were actually shut down during the pandemic. They and these are B two B that produce goods and services that are picked up by other businesses and eventually integrated in a finished product. So in many cases, they just uh, stop manufacturing. So obviously, uh, they, they, they rarely have large inventories to sell. So the usage of the various uh, uh, platforms in K-e-commerce sort of slowed down a bit during the quarter. Uh, however, towards the, uh, the end of the quarter, and we have preliminary data on July, shows that it's, it's completely back up to normal. So uh, contrary to the uh, Orchestra Commerce uh, platform, which caters a lot to, like I mentioned, we do have a specialty in grocery. 
and grocery was considered to be an essential services, us human beings have to continue eating. However, you might be able to slow down your consumption of, uh, I don't know, uh, metal ball bearings or plastic pieces. So that's what explains a bit of the slowdown uh, in the uh, in the K-commerce platform. Okay, and you expect us to get back to the two million two million dollar range uh, over the short or more medium to longer term? Uh, I don't have in mind right now the. I mean, what what I know is that from our 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 information that we see, uh, you know, looking at traffic, et cetera, it seems to be back up normal. Um, so I I would expect it to come back fairly quickly. Okay, great. And in terms of uh, gross margins, uh, starting to see some improvement. Uh, can you remind us what your uh, objective? on that front is as your platforms are uh, uh, working properly, you know, uh, running properly and uh, the growth in, in revenues starts to kick in, uh, what's your medium-term objective on gross margin? Um, gross margin in strat sourcing uh, and also in our uh, marketplaces is, is very good. Uh, so in in you know in the case of the marketplaces we just we're maintaining it I, I don't expect it to move a lot uh, in the case of strat sourcing uh, we have to grow the base uh, obviously keeping the same margins where we can substantially improve margins it's going to be in our unified commerce uh, simply because we still have too high of a component of service um, as I mentioned, in the uh, enterprise world, in the e-commerce world, sorry, we have a 60% MRR, and that's because we, we are still performing much of the service ourselves, and as you know, it's a lot harder to, to uh, increase margin on onboarding services, and that's why we are, we've launched this uh, uh, very uh, ambitious partner program and looking to I, I like to use the SAP example. Um, you know, uh, all, almost all of the large consulting firms have a, an SAP practice, and SAP sells the software. Uh, we'd like to be to the uh, to the uh, digital commerce world, the SAP of the uh, ERP world. Uh, so over time, we'll be adding more and more partners as we gain traction, and also increase our uh, our sales efforts. So that there are more and more customers demanding our platforms, and we can we can uh, you know uh, gradually shift into a much higher component of uh, of MRR and and options, uh, which will uh, obviously directly increase our margin. Uh, Paul, do, would you have some further color on that? No, I think you summarized it uh, pretty well. I mean, that's the, the where the margins are a bit. Uh, Lord and uh, threat sourcing uh, right now are in the uh, unified commerce overall. Okay, and, uh, and I wanted to ask you, I mean, it's hard maybe to um, separate things uh, clearly, but uh, when you look at your organic growth, ex excluding um, exchange rates and things like that, how much would you say the improvement sequentially from last quarter was due to COVID and versus uh, the improvement coming from your strategy that you implemented since you started?
started in October. Oh boy. Well, I, I well, think the answer lies here. And uh, if you look at the number of new customers that we added, so clearly a good portion of growth comes from that. Um, uh, hard to, it's hard to, uh, if you look on the MRR side, I, I think um, not, not a lot was due to COVID. Uh, the MRR grew because of, as I said, you know, new customers that are added to the various platforms, both on the strat sourcing and the unified commerce. If you look at total revenue, there's a component which was effectively due to COVID, and the example is the surge in grocery yep. revenues because so much, uh, so much was flowing through the system. But I don't have a, a number for you at this point. That's something we'd okay. have to. I, I I thought you I thought you wouldn't. I mean I thought you you will not be able to. But I just I thought I asked the question anyway. Uh, so in terms of uh, when you began your new project, uh, you t you talked about cross selling services and products uh, to existing customers. Apart from loading, you know, new customers in, how's the cross selling? Uh, doing and uh, can you put a, a dollar value on how much you've achieved on that front so far? I certainly can't give you a dollar value. I know we've initiated a lot of projects um, and uh, some of these new customers are probably come from some cross-selling uh, but I, uh, I, I can't track this at this point in time. We still have some work to do internally in integrating our uh, our CRMs. Uh, we we unfortunately still have different CRMs in our business units, so it, it it's hard to compile the data with one single integrated view. Okay, and my last question is on uh, free cash flow generation. Uh, you you're making quite a lot of investments. Uh, I mean, uh, for sure uh, to increase. Your organic growth, uh, salespeople, etc. Um, when do you think uh, that will begin to translate into free cash flow generation? Uh, because right now it's uh, it's muted. Uh, Paul, I'll let you go with that one. Um... Well, obviously, uh, Mara, as you know, we, we, we need to do the investment first to get to see the cash flow coming in. Um, we've been, you know, uh, again, uh, Unified Commerce performed really well during this first quarter. We anticipate that towards sourcing, uh, particularly in the U.S., uh, will continue to grow, is growing nicely and continue to grow. Um, you know, over the next uh, few quarters, you'll, you, we should see improvement. Maybe not in the next one, but uh, you know, we need to do the investment and the, the changes in our uh, you know various system and platforms before we see cash flow increasing significantly to some extent. So we need we need again we need to do the investment first and uh, uh, get get the return uh, afterwards. So by by the end of this year, we should start to see uh, revenue growth outpacing your cost uh, your cost increases and and your capex. I'd say yes. That's a that's a that's a nice uh, period to look to look at it. Yeah. Okay. Which is, Great. You know, towards next uh, winter. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Next question will be from Deepak Goshal at Stifle GMP. Please go ahead. Oh, hi. Uh, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking uh, my rookie questions here. Um, Luke, I think you mentioned earlier in the call um, you're seeing a good pickup in, in activity flow through through the strategic sourcing platform. I, I assume a lot of that's in the U.S. and, and driven by, by COVID. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you can give us some color on what's, what's the nature of that activity increase and, and how do you guys benefit from a growth perspective from existing customers when those volumes go up? Uh, well, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, thank you for the question, Deepak. Um, we added uh, 77 buying agencies during the quarter, uh, and there's a flock of suppliers that cater to these agencies that pay us a monthly fee to have access to the various tendering uh, projects that these agencies have. So that contributed or will continue to contribute to uh, increase. Uh, obviously, we, we never fully know when we onboard an agency how many suppliers will, will come in and, and buy the various packages, but it, it's, uh, it's a high-grade sausage thing, right? The fresher it is, the more people eat it, and the more people eat it, the fresher it is. So the more suppliers we have on the platform, the better we can offer the service to an agency because we can expose their, their jobs to a, a much wider network. And the more agencies we have, the more we can uh, interest uh, various suppliers to come on because they can have access to a, a very large amount of, uh, of potential deals. So, um, so it, it's a virtuous circle that works uh, really, really well. Okay, so, so if, a, if a particular agency is seeing uh, putting through more volume to their platform, your growth from that would come from onboarding more partners? Or do you Correct. Pick up from the uh, it's a supplier-paid model, right? The agencies will pay a, a one-time, fairly modest fee for onboarding the platforms, and then it's all supplier-based. So the suppliers will pay a monthly fee, a monthly recurring subscription fee, uh, which is proportional to the, um, the scope of what they want to access. If a supplier, for example, uh, just wants uh, local city uh, deals, well, obviously their cost is lower than if the supplier would be some large engineering company that wants nationwide access. Uh, and, and that's how we, we make our money around that. And as you can tell, right, 94, 95% uh, recurring revenue, very high margins, uh, just needs to accelerate the growth here. Got it. And, and now that you've expanded into the UK and as you look to Europe, uh, are the models for, for strategic sourcing very different in those geographies? Um, what can we expect on, on that front? What we see there is actually very similar. Uh, and it, it comes from a very simple statement is that when a government procures, uh, you know, various goods and services, they have an obligation by law to perform a tender, to document, you know, why they chose whoever they chose to get the job. And this is all anti-laundering, anti-fraud, uh, anti-corruption types of uh, rules. And when you go to the, you know, more evolved countries, well, obviously these rules are in place and the various agencies need to maintain the whole uh, story and, uh, and history of a requirement from the moment it appears to the moment that this requirement is answered by any given supplier. 
And the fact that the NHS chose our application just goes and proves that, hey, we're, um, we, we, do, we are handling the things in the right way. Uh, there might be obviously some local adjustments we could need to make, but uh, we're, we're, with the preliminary information that we have, these are very similar and we do see possibilities of growing in Europe. Okay, excellent. Um, and then just on the on the e-commerce side, you know, particularly related to the groceries, you had a, a big win this quarter. Um, I'm just wondering what you can color you can give us in terms of the opportunity set ahead of you. You know, what market share do you have? What's available? And out of the opportunity, you know, what's Greenfield versus having to replace a, a competitive product? Our reading of the grocery world is uh, it, it, it's still a, you know, by large, unexploited by e-commerce. Um, it, it wasn't a very natural, uh, I would say, the, 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 the fastest uh, place where e-commerce sort of picks up for one simple reason, right? The margins in grocery, as you know, are very thin, and the products are, are pretty bulky and hard to deliver. Uh, when you go do your groceries, there are some, some room temperature products, there are some refrigerated products, and there are some frozen products. So to have that delivered adequately requires quite a bit of logistics. Where things evolved and, and really started to pick up is uh, we actually had helped develop this site, and I think it was initially with Sobeys, with what we call curbside pickup where uh, stores will actually have and prepare areas where they can store the various goods that you are ordering. Uh, they have specific bins that they built and they can identify them to you. And we've developed functionality that's uh, even on mobile where when you're ready to go pick up, you can just basically uh, uh, flag on your phone that you're about to go pick up and they take your bags from, you know, the three areas, the room temperature, refrigerator, and, and frozen, and they bring them to the curbside where you just take possession of your goods. And that model uh, is economically quite viable and seems to have a lot of traction. And there are very few large grocers that have implemented, right? Um, if you take, you know, one of the first... Uh, areas to be uh, to be digitized was books and uh, music and, and the like so not a lot of growth in that area but we still feel in the grocery world that there's significant portions that we could uh, we could attack and uh, we're, we're we sort of have a a good uh, a good name and uh, we're making use of it excellent that's, that's good to hear and then I mean does that extend to the B2B world in the grocery side, or is it mostly B2C right now? Uh, right now, it's mostly B2C. We do have some uh, some supply chain with certain grocery, but at a smaller scale right now. Uh, that, that's actually a bit of a longer-term view uh, where we'd like to connect our back-end and our front-end in order to be able to offer a complete logistic solution uh, e-commerce and supply to uh, to single customers, but that that's a little bit further ahead, right? That that that's totally part of the uh, innovation track, where um, you know I, I don't see any commercialization in in the short term, but you know maybe 18, 24 months from now we could start to think about having enough of the pieces of the puzzle put together to show a complete picture to certain of our customers. 
Okay, excellent. Well, thank you for taking my questions. I'll, I'll leave it there for now and, and uh, um, look forward to, to future calls. Thank you, Deepak. Thank you for your questions. Thank you. Next question will be from Nick Agostino at Laurentian Bank Securities. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. Good morning. Uh, I guess a few questions for me, Look, uh, First, when you spoke about the platforms, I thought I heard you call out three um, unified, of course, uh, marketplaces and uh, strategic sourcing. But in the past, you, you spoke also about uh, a fourth platform being supply chain. I'm just wondering how you guys are looking at that specific uh, carve-out these days, and, and, and specifically platforms like Intertrade. Are they now incorporated as part of other uh, um, other segments of the business? Um, if you uh, thank you, Nick, for those questions. Um, if you if you read the literature, the more advanced literature, right? There's a, there's a convergence uh, happening between supply chain and e-commerce because in the end, it, it's sort of a continuum. You as a consumer will buy various products uh, from a retailer, which will then source these products from various suppliers. So ultimately, this is all integrated and we adapted our, our, our vocabulary, I guess, to that situation. Uh, we still have uh, intertrade and it, it's still present. And as I just answered uh, Deepak's question, right, there's more and more appetite to sort of get these, uh, these which, you know, were historically completely separated. There's more and more appetite to sort of integrate these uh, two aspects of, of the same system. Like I said, you know, front-end purchasing and back-end sourcing. Um, and that's why we call it out uh, unified commerce because we feel they're so common. And uh, we, we do have, you know, quite a few interesting potential cross-selling opportunities in those, uh, in those areas. Okay, great. Uh, second question, you, you've, you've added a, um, a sales partner. You spoke about adding more, including large consultants. And I'm just wondering, are all these relationships just solely to help you guys on the sales side, or will uh, some of these partners, including the consultants, be assisting on the on the install in, in an effort to uh, probably accelerate the, the growth by getting customers onboarded quicker? Um, it, it's, it's absolutely on the install side, right? Uh, that, that, that's where we're currently, uh, you know, we're scaling up as fast as we can, but as you know, there's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a short, there's always been a shortage of, resource, of qualified resources in those areas. So the partnerships with the various uh, integrators are, you know, I'd say sometimes start with the install side and then eventually as they, they, they get together, they get a group of people trained and, uh, and proficient in our platform, then they can start to sell. So it, it, it's, a, again, you know, a nice virtuous circle. So it's, it's, it's on both sides. On the K-commerce side, we're a bit more mature there. We do have, uh, you know, a significant amount of partners that are mostly ERP guys. Uh, and uh, K-commerce is, uh, is highly integrated with, uh, SA, with uh, for example, SAP B1, uh, all of the Microsoft ERPs. And it's, uh, it's often the integrators of these ERPs that, uh, that bring the customers and, and do some of the install. On the orchestra side, we're, we're starting to build that partnership network. And then lastly, 
on the e-commerce, you, you called out, uh, I guess, unified commerce, you called out 48% year-over-year growth. I believe that, that your revenue is in part subscription uh, and, and services-based, but also transactional. And that being the case, how much of the, of the growth that you saw year-over-year was from the transactional side? Jeez, um, hmm. I don't know, Paul, if you have an idea, but uh, I don't well, know. I mean, the, it's hard to separate. So on the side, MRR I mean, side, yeah. we, took, we, we, took, you know, uh, uh, we took off of the MRR uh, some of those extra volumes of transaction that we thought were associated with COVID almost only. Uh, but on a total revenue basis, uh, you know, how much is transactional versus new customers? I, I don't know right now. And, and Paul, if you have any color, please comment. I don't, I don't at the moment. Obviously, uh, a lot of the increases was, was due to, the, you know, the spike into uh, during the pandemic for sure on the on the grocery. Um, yeah, that's that's where it came from mostly in, during the quarter. Okay, that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Andre Olmachak at Lion Guard Capital. Please go ahead. Yes, hi guys. Luke, Paul, great job on the monthly recurring revenue uh, during the quarter. Uh, it's very nice to see that you're using a conservative methodology for MRR calculations. Um, so I have two questions. The first question is a follow-up on the next question. Uh, what's going to be the onboarding capacity once the uh, logic is fully onboarded, and what other partners you have in place is the target onboarding capacity you're trying to achieve next year? Um, on the logic side, I mean, uh, it, we already have some, some people from logic that are working on certain of our projects. And I, I you know, I would err uh, to say that we probably have a dozen-ish um, and we're adding more. Uh, it, it, you know, there, there's a there's the onboarding capacity to do the projects, but there's also the onboarding of training new guys, which you know there's a we, we can't we we just don't have ourselves uh, enough uh, trainers, so we kind of have to go gradually. Um, I hard to say how many people would eventually be dedicated to that. Uh, you know, of course, Logic themselves have their own strategy, and they're not going to put all their eggs in one basket. However, these guys are are really focused on uh, on e-commerce retail. So uh, the fact that our platform caters so well to e-commerce, I think, is a is a good sign. Um, on the other side, we have some very active discussions with already three or four quite larger um, um, consulting organizations um, and hoping to get those in place, uh, you know, certainly on a very regular basis, we'll be adding some and, you know, it's uh, you need to start to, and, and once you get attention, once you get a bit more out there from a sales perspective, because any consulting organization initially wants to see, well, you know, how much of a pipeline do you have? And since we are investing in sales, we're sort of building that pipeline, which creates interests at the uh, consulting guys. And, uh, you know, once they get on board, they start with one customer, then they start to generate some of their own customers. So it's, it's unfortunately a process that's relatively slow. 
I wish we could just uh, kick that into a, a much faster pace, but it, it does take a bit of time to uh, to onboard the folks and to get them up and running on their first project and be effective because they, they need to make some money too. If they don't make money, then they don't continue. So it's a, it's a gradual process. Okay, great. And the second question I have is on Orchestra Pipeline. I know you're doing a large enterprise um, implementation and uh, that you commented earlier in response to Amar question, but uh, who else do you have in Pipeline? How many conversations are there? Um, are these big potential clients or you know, mix of the small and big? Uh, any color would be much appreciated. Um, well, we have quite a few, and uh, we, uh, I mean, I, uh, we haven't announced this yet, but uh, I know that we just uh, signed up uh, another new deal in the last week. Uh, we're working on uh, getting the authorizations from the customer to announce. Uh, we've, uh, we've hired some, some people in sales. Uh, as I said, we're putting our transformation plan, so uh, things seem to be going quite well. Um, I, I, I don't have a number for you. Uh, we don't uh, we don't want to disclose these types of numbers. We we have competition that we want to be careful about also. So, uh, but clearly there's uh, there's quite a bit of opportunity there. Okay, great, and it's uh, great to see MRL growing uh, so fast. Great job, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Andre. Thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions. I will now hand the call back to Mr. Filiatro. Well, thank you very much uh, for for being with us this morning. Uh, as I mentioned, right, we're we're very excited to see this work. Uh, personally, this is my uh, third quarter at uh, at Metagriff. I'm I'm super excited about the possibilities and what lies ahead. Um, the team is uh, the team, and, and I mean the whole team, the 620 some of us today, uh, is really supercharged. Uh, I have very regular update calls, uh, certainly on a weekly basis, and sometimes more than once a week, with the whole team. And one thing the pandemic has taught us is the ability to get online uh, on a group call almost at seconds' notice. Uh, we, we're a user of Microsoft products, so we're on Teams, and I can call a meeting with 600 people in the next 10 minutes, and it works extremely well. It, it gives us an ability to have not just uh, myself or Paul, uh, you know, pushing and, and pulling, but to really have 600 people that are marching in the same direction at the same pace, and that is extremely powerful. If, uh, if, uh, if one day one of you would like to uh, participate to one of these calls, I had a comment uh, the other day from, from really one of our board members, actually, who participated on our group call. And he mentioned to me after the call, he says, look, this is extraordinary because even though I was on a, on a screen and a remote and alone in my, off, in my, my home, uh, home office, I, I could literally feel the 600 people's power uh, with the questions and the interaction, etc. So uh, I'm extremely happy to uh, to lead this charge, and uh, we're very, very confident in the future. So lots of good things ahead of us. Thank you all, and uh, we'll speak soon to uh, some of you in the very near future.
Thank you, Mr. Filiatro. Ladies you. and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.